It depends on sort of what your outlook looks like. Um, so, for instance, for my day, I might sort of try to think of something that my target audience would be interested in. Hello and welcome to The Fizzle Show. We are creative, independent entrepreneurs. And we're not crazy about the word entrepreneur. But we want to earn a living doing something that we care about. If you feel the same, you're in the right place. Your hosts are Corbett Barr. If we were uh, cookies, he'd be a gourmet chocolate chip cookie. Classic. Everyone likes them. The kind of thing that you bite into and say, whoa, it's all in here. Caleb Wojcik, he'd be a French macaroon, dignified, adult, a little sophisticated. And Chase, he'd be a snickerdoodle, just because it's fun to say and makes you giggle. (laughs) That one comes to us from Fizzler Darlene, who gets mentioned on this show. It's audience month here at The Fizzle Show and our blog, The Sparkline, because when you know who you're making it for, you'll have a better idea about what to actually make them such that they might actually buy it from you. And this is the second in a two-part series where we got some experts to share how they discover, define, and target their audience, their target market, their avatar, persona, ideal reader, tribe, whatever the kids are calling it these days. Let's call it audience for right now. Seriously, there's some amazing insights in this one. It's so good. We made a free guide with, uh, with notes on each of these interviews, and you can find out more about that one at the end of the show. Then in the second bit of the show, Corbett, Caleb, and I will jump in and share about the specific tactics that we've used to create products that people actually buy. Fizzleshow.co slash 50, that's five zero. if you wanted to follow the show notes at home. I'll be back after this to fill in any gaps, so let's get into it. Here's Josh Ship from joshship.com and Youth Speaker University. Come on, church. Come on now. Come on. Can you hear me? Can you feel me near you? Bonjour, no. <laughs> now, listen. <laughs> listen. Are you ready? You already got me. You already have me. I'm on the line. What? Are you ready? <laughs> what? Did you really go to a p- practor? What's a p- practor? You told me you were getting your p- adjusted. <laughs> of course, I got a. P- adjustment you don't get your adjusted no i just go in there and they they tell me to hold up my arm and then he tries to push it down and then he puts paprika near my ear and then he goes see you're allergic to cinnamon (laughs) i am slapping my thigh slapping it like a freaking like my baby boomer dad just slapping it i hope that's your thigh (laughs) here's my question for you joshua joshua ship with two p's you're the guy. You're a guy who's making things. You make a lot of stuff. You went. You were. You like did this whole thing where you were. You know, the world's greatest. Uh, you know, balloon animal specialist for kids in high schools and stuff. And then you took that and on the lamb. Uh, yeah, and you threw, took that on the road. Made it super successful. Made a bunch of products out of that to sell to those kids. Then made a whole other thing selling how to be an amazing balloon animal specialist to other people who wanted to be a balloon animal specialist. And then you took that model and transferred that to other places and industries where you could teach other things or find people who wanted to teach things, yada, yada, yada. And by the way, of course, we're talking about not balloon animal specialists, though you do do some skits. Uh, You're speaking to the youths, uh, the youth of America. 
and the, the world the probably the youth the youth. Uh, so my question to you is, um, as someone who's been making this stuff, what work, if any, have you done or uh, throughout these years or throughout these products and all these things to actually discover who these these who the, who your audience is and what they actually struggle with, what they would buy from you, what they wouldn't buy from you, and stuff like that. Yeah, so <clears throat> I do a few different things. Um, one, I mean, I, I think if I could take it back to when I was initially sort of deciding what audience I wanted to work with, uh, because at first it sort of just starts as a theory or as a concept, and then I feel like you kind of have to test it and make sure it's a fit. Uh, and I think this is something we don't think about too often, but we need to make sure it's a fit not only for them, but also for us. I mean, it needs to be sort of a mutual fit. And so, you know, some of the questions I'm asking myself at that point are, you know, who who do I selfishly feel the most passionate about helping? Hmm. Um, and I use the word selfishly intentionally because similar to a conversation I remember you and I had, it's really important not to feel like you have to camp out on whatever your product or service is, meaning, you know, I don't intend to always just speak or always just write a book or always just whatever. Um, I, I need to really fall in love with that audience and care about them. And then whatever methodologies I can dream up to help them, so be it. Hmm. But when you selfishly really, really dig that audience, then you are going to naturally be in a position where you um, do the homework and the research and the nerdy stuff. And that's not going to seem like a drain, but it's going to seem like a delight. Mm. Um, you're, you're going to care. And sometimes I feel like care is it's tough because if you're someone who's uh, maybe like me, it's like, well, what does that mean? How do you quantify that? And, you know, you hear Chase talk about it all the time. What does it really mean? I think where you can really, um, I think where cash or cash, I think where caring, you can really cash in on that is that if you really care about the audience, then you will be willing to endure the difficulty that exists in building any sort of legitimate business. Mm. Meaning, whether your audience is kids or aspiring entrepreneurs or elderly women gardeners, mm -hmm. uh, you know, my upcoming project, it's, it's going to be difficult regardless. Yeah. And so, you know, I think we want to make sure that whatever thing we're building, once we get there, not only are we going to like the thing, but are we going to like the inhabitants? Mm. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a huge point. But how do you know, how have you ever known if anybody's actually going to buy your thing once you've made it. I mean, I know now you know a lot. You don't make something now unless you you've already know it's going to sell. So, But though I can picture you in the beginning spending a lot of time and effort making things that are just like, like I remember on one of the other episodes, we uh, talked about your first product, which was like a motivational CD. Yes. <laughs> of like quotes and stuff. Like, <laughs> I just love the idea of it. Uh, this 12-year-old, like, recording into a microphone straight to mini-disc or something. Like I know. It was amazing. So what do you do now 
given that framework of care and picking an audience that you actually can dig uh, and 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 stick through stick with through all the difficulties because it's a huge yeah. point you're absolutely right do you have any anything that you do now to to ensure that things are going to sell or do you just like know what is and what isn't um uh, well i i do have some instincts that have been sort of proven over time at this point but let's assume those aren't there yeah you know what lessons can someone take from my experience who perhaps just starting out so maybe you don't have those built-in instincts yet uh number 1 is that i ask and so whether it be you know in person and i'm talking to people after a, a workshop or an event or or whatever i will ask you know what whether it be a group of parents or educators or kids you know what sort of things could I create that would genuinely and legitimately help you that you would be willing to buy? Um, and I think putting that disclaimer in there is important because it's not just like, well, what kind of image would you like me to post on Facebook? Because that, that costs the other person nothing. There's uh, no in investment required on their part. But yeah. what sort of things, what's, what sort of problems could I solve that, that you would be willing to invest in, that you would be willing to spend your hard-earned money um, to do? Or I do this you know, through my email list. I will intentionally survey the different sort of audiences that I have and find, you know, I, I tend to just ask them just a few questions. You know, what, uh, you know, which, sort of, which of these sorts of products would help you? Hmm. Um, and what is the number one thing that you're struggling with? And it's interesting because oftentimes people will tell you that they want like advanced stuff and they really want really advanced technical stuff. But ultimately what they're struggling with when you get down to it is really often the basics. Um, and then another thing I would do now is that I would try to dip my toe in the water as safely as... So happy as you said toe. Yes. Uh, yes. I would dip... <laughs> my toe <laughs> in the water, uh, making sure the water was first warm to, uh, to forgive me, to, to try to test. We're about to lose him. We're about to. I, oh Lord, here we go. <laughs> test whether or not that particular audience would be willing to buy the product. So instead of going out and printing or uh, whatever, you know, hundreds and hundreds of copies of whatever, I would try to do just a limited run or again, like I think we talked about last time, I would try to sell it in advance. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Those are two, those are two, uh, I, I like that. When it, why is it that even when I try to surprise you, you have like a three P's of, of personal blogging, personal branding or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, these two are really helpful. Uh, uh, just a good, clear way of, of putting it together. And I like that you, you, you started off with this concept of caring, of saying like, well, first yeah. and foremost, I mean, yeah, you could go find an audience that has a need, but but you know, I'll be honest, from experience, you don't want to be serving a hemorrhetic audience. It just right. gets dirty. It's just it dirty. Does. It and, does. Yeah, dude. And again, if you care, you're just constantly in contact with those folks. Yeah. You know, you know, their frustrations are your frustrations. Mm -hmm. And your motivation to solve the frustration is not only financial, but yeah. also because you genuinely care. And there's this interesting dynamic of so many of us build businesses for ourselves. Like we talk specifically to, directly to us 
three years ago or something like that. Right. You know, this is the thing I wish I would have found when I was starting out as a web designer or as a uh, whatever, a, a balloon animal professional. Um, and because that, like, I don't know, a lot of them become, or not a lot of them, sorry, sometimes these become successful because we actually nail a, a need and it's yeah. the right time and place for that product to be developed. Um, sometimes you want to speak to yourself two years ago, but 450,000 other people have already been doing that for the last 10 years. And so good luck trying to make an in, in that market. Um, and maybe, maybe that doesn't exist because maybe that doesn't happen because you found one of those things and, and, and it worked, but there's this weird tension of, I want to make something that I'm proud of versus, uh, I want to serve an audience and, and make, or make a living creating things that they that will help them become the hero of their own story yeah Yeah. and 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 that's and that's ultimately what it's about it's not you know creating something to to you know for our ego but rather for for helping them yeah all right honky talk well where can people find out more about you josh ship double p dot com j-o-s-h-s-h-i-p-p-d-o-u-b-l-e-p as in the number p Dot biz. <laughs> and like I always say, in order to build the thing, you got to be the thing. <laughs> Come on, church. Woo! Come on, free. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, that man is telling me to say things to you I don't want to say. <laughs> tell, tell your neighbor, I am uncomfortable looking at your face because you're sitting right next to me. Glory to glory. Here is Sarah K. Peck from itstartswith.com. Are you there? Can you hear me? Can you feel me near you? Hello. Hello. Okay, Sarah Peck, this is my question for you. Okay. Um, you're someone who, and I'm, I'm interested in this for, because not only are you like, I'm an internet person, but you're also like, oh, look, architecture. Oh, look, designing public spaces. Oh, look, all of these things where you have to kind of think about this in a different light. What, mm-hmm. on, uh, this month is uh, audience month at Fizzle and the Fizzle Show, and we're thinking through principally like the questions and things around defining your audience, understanding what they struggle with, who they are, what their story is, and how to make something that's actually going to delight them and solve their problems and, and make their butt, butt not itch so much anymore. Uh, or whatever. Uh, so, in your work, being doing the architectural type stuff as well as the web stuff and the writing, um, uh, what have you had to do in the past, if anything? Maybe this all comes really natural to you uh, to discover who your audience is and what their actual problems are, and where you can create something that they'd enjoy. And, and- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really challenging, actually. I think I think there's um, a huge disconnect between being a person who's really, really interested in lots of things Mm -hmm. and clearly communicating who you are to somebody who typically has one specific interest or problem or process that they're looking to connect with somebody else on. And so like you as a person can hold many multifaceted ideas, like we all do. It's just really challenging then to translate that into any sort of form. Mm whether that's words or a podcast or an idea. And that's why there's so much advice out there that's like, get a niche, find a niche. And it's also why people hate it so much because Mm -hmm. they're like, I'm not a niche. And so we tend to confuse those two things that you as an individual have to be really uh, pigeonholed versus just having clarity around your ideas. So in terms of finding my audience, I've had the most success when I... um, I'm very specific about my projects. Mm. Some of my previous 
like essays and blogs and projects that have been focused on architecture, or focused on urban design, or focused on swimming, have attracted a very specific audience, and we can relate over something. And then a handful or a percentage of those people say, oh my gosh, you're interested in swimming and you do architecture, that's cool. And they will translate and they will come over because they're interested in several of the same things. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's really, it's, it's challenging because you both got to recognize that we're complex people and also get specific with it. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. And this idea of, I like, I like the way that you phrased it because uh, you were sensitive to the fact that I am not a niche uh, and you're, but you're also saying, but I am focusing my, uh, I'm focusing myself around certain projects. Yeah. You know, I feel like sure. that's a, that's a good way of putting it because it's hard to, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, what you've probably heard from people, cause what I've certain, certainly heard from people is like, well, I'd like to do that, but I, uh, I just have so much more to offer than that or, yeah. you know, and things like this, but we know that you, okay, go offer it all and realize how zero of a zero impact you make when you, when you do that and how many people just don't understand you in their own heads because their lives are more important than yours to them. And so they just exactly. see a bunch of, you know, malarkey and they're like, I don't know what this is, you know? Like storytelling wise, when we listen to stories, we can only hear so much we can only take little packets of information so it's way easier to understand somebody else if they tell us a short story Hmm. like if i come up to you and i say i am a writer right you can then take that and give it to somebody else you can be like sarah's a writer but if i come up to you and i'm like i'm a writer who does architecture but i swim in the mornings and i like urban design but then sometimes i do yoga and right now i'm working on my hands like i've lost you yep totally both of them are true, the statements that I told you. It's just one of them you can share with more people. And it's actually in my best interest to give you something that you can share because I get to meet more people that way. Mm, I like that. Now, that's a big, that's a big point in terms of, uh, like, uh, just, I don't know, just w- the fact that we have to work so hard to limit ourselves or to focus our message on ourselves just because that's what's necessary to make sense to someone you've never seen made, made contact with at all in any way, shape, or form, and they just stumble across your website while they're flitting about the internet looking at a bunch of bullshit, noise, and you know distractions, and you hope to make a meaningful connection in that context, and you really kind of have to have a laser focus in yeah. order to do that. Exactly. Exactly. And it's painful. So that's the thing that we forget to tell people. Like having to pick something is actually really, really hard. Mm. Like one of the most difficult things I did was decide to launch a writing program because I think that I'm so much more than just a writing teacher. Yeah. I'm interested in yoga and swimming and architecture and I want to write long form and publish books. And so when I threw all of my energy into making a writing class, which took me, you know, a year and a half, two years, and I'm still building it, it it was disappointing in some ways because I wanted to do more because whenever you make something, it's inherently limiting and, and you have to focus on just making that project. And so you have to take these ideas, which exist in the like imagination, creative, expansive, like possibility space Mm -hmm. and then manifest them, which is about matter and physicality and reality. And it's inherently limiting. And by limiting what you do, it becomes really painful because you're like, I have to let go of everything else I want to do to make this one thing. And that I think is the root of why people have so much trouble actually doing it. It's not because they're incapable of doing it. It's that you actively have to say no to all the other things. Mm, Which is something that we are just inherently bad at in some ways, right? We don't want to. It's painful. We avoid pain, you know? And mm-hmm. so and so it's like, it's the catch-22. If you want to make something, you do have to give other things up. And and I think 
my answer to that in my own philosophy is, is I'm just going to bank on that I have more time. Like mm. I'm, I'm going to do something really well right now. And the next year I'm going to do the next project. And next year I'm going to do the project after that. Because the quicker you get started, the more you can do. Ooh, I like that. Sarah Peck, where can people find more from you on the internet? Oh, I write it. It starts with .com right now. And I talk about writing, storytelling, and teaching. Look at you. See, you're good at this. You know exactly, <laughs> you know exactly who you're talking to and what about. <laughs> Stories and starting. That's what I'm focused on right now. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Here is Nathan Barry, founder of NathanBerry.com and ConvertKit. Hey. Hey, Turkey. Are you there? Can you hear me? Can you feel me near you? I can. Oh, God, that's good. All right, Nathan Barry, here's my question for you. Okay. <clears throat> you're a guy who makes things. You guys make made things for audiences. They get bought, they get sold, they get processed, they get bought and processed, they get sold, bought and processed. And I don't want to be a processor of bought things or sold things. Anyways, you remember that quote? You you probably don't even remember that quote. I do not remember that quote. It's not important. It's not important. I'm showing my age. Um, <laughs> but as a guy who makes things and designs things and writes things for audiences, and a lot of times to get sold, what I'm curious is... For you specifically, not the right answer on this, because it feels like there, like we all know there's some sort of right answer on this question. But really for you and the work that you've done specifically around your products, uh, what have you done in the past to sort of define who your audience is, what their struggles actually are, and whether or not they're, they might actually buy this thing you're about to spend a bunch of time to make? Oh, that's a good question. So as far as who my audience is... Uh, I've built my audience around what I want to talk about. Hmm. So I have two audiences, one who cares about learning design, the other who cares about learning marketing. And they definitely overlap. Uh, but you know, it's just a matter of saying, this is what I care about. This is what I know. This is what I want to teach. And so going out and finding people who fit the, that criteria, rather than the other way of saying, how could I make money? Uh, you know, let me go find some some niche topic to talk about and then, you know, find the audience that way. So I want people to come to me who are a good fit for what I want to talk about. Mm, I like that. That's a good way of good way of putting it. I find I've I've had a handful of these conversations with people and I find that uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because some people really do go that way of like, well, I just found the opportunity and I went for it. I mean, I don't really care about this niche quote unquote or these keywords well it's just i just saw the opportunity and i was looking to make a quick buck and this worked you know uh so it's this interesting balance between actually giving a damn um and but i mean and i don't mean that like in a cute like oh look at us we're the guys who care you know uh, i mean that like it like I, I money is money you know a job is a right. job so it's the same and, and i've done both yeah. so my first couple of businesses targeted all kinds of random industries and audiences and uh well first they weren't very successful uh some were moderately successful i guess mm -hmm. but um you know i didn't enjoy working on them nearly as much as i do now yeah so so okay go so your second question mm. which is about basically about validating an idea and seeing if people are going to buy it yeah. uh, before it exists i kind of take two approaches i either uh put up a landing page and ask for email addresses because an email address, I believe, is a form of payment. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you're asking them to give you something that they value, which is access to their inbox. Mm -hmm. They may not value it very much, yeah. but, you know, at least a little bit. Yeah. And so then, you know, I can make some judgments based on if I can get 500 people to sign up for this list, then I can probably get 
you know, 25 or 50 people to, to buy the product. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's really, really specific to, yeah. you're signing up to find out about this product when it's available. Yeah. That's kind of a, a rough way to do it, but uh, that's the way I do it probably two thirds of the time. The rest of the time, I just ask people, hey, will you buy this? I'm thinking about building this. I think it solves a problem that you have. One, do you have this problem? Yes, you do. Okay, good. Two, will you buy it? And then they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd love to buy it. That's great. And I say, okay, can I have your credit card? Mm-hmm. And that's when the real feedback comes out. That's when the people who are just like, you know, my friends who were just trying to be nice to me go, oh, I, yeah, I thought you were asking hypothetically. Um, <laughs> hmm. Or they go, okay, I do actually want it, but, you know, it'd be too much work for me to switch off my existing platform. Yeah. Or does it have this feature or things like that? Yeah. And so by actually asking for money, you know, with a specific dollar amount and saying, give me that credit card number, then uh, you get the real feedback and, you, you know, Best case scenario, people go, yes, here you go. Yeah. Char- charge my card. Has for that ever bucks. actually happened? Have you ever sat, sat and talked with your friends saying, uh, hey, do you have this problem? Oh, you do. Great. I'm thinking of building this. Would you buy it? Oh, yeah, you would. Okay, where's your credit card? And then take their credit card info right there. Uh, not in person. I've done okay. it online. Yeah. Wow. I like that. Oh, okay, I guess yeah. with Gumroad, you could just send a little whatever thing. Yeah, over. exactly. It's going to take 30 seconds to create a new product. Yeah. You know, if I wanted to, I could create, you know, a product that was just the Chase Reeves uh, pre-order of the <laughs> brand new product that I just thought of and be like, you know, what do you think? And uh, <laughs> I would get you real feedback because you'd be like, dude, I don't want to give you $100 for this product. I, don't I just saw in my mind a whole line of Nathan Berry products <laughs> that are like the Chase Reeves brand. So just like, like it's not Ford, it's the, uh, it's Ford, but it's the Eddie Bauer Ford. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so it's Nathan Berry, but it's the Chase Reeves Nathan uh, Berry edition. line. Yeah, I the like Chase that Reeves actually. Edition. We could, we could, those could, we could have a lot of fun with that. I think yeah. it could be like, a, yeah, it'd be like, it'd be like all your existing stuff, just with like lewd comments and swear words and things. Exactly. We'd have to do a limited run, you know. <laughs> only so many could be sold. <laughs> Mostly just, uh, you know, medium grade leathers and are, are going to be involved, uh, but they're <laughs> yes, going to feel exactly. fancy. So, in terms of uh, discovering. Are there any other tactic or any tactic type stuff that, that you do to discover audiences or the, specifically the problems they have and potentially the kinds of solution you can make for that problem? I think the best one is something that I learned from Amy Hoy, hmm. and that's to ask, who am I? And you go through and you list out you know, all, your, all your attributes. And through that, you find... You know what audiences you fit into, yeah. and some of them are business related. You know, I'm a designer, I'm a marketer. Uh, in the past, you know, I've been a WordPress theme developer. Uh, you can kind of get through a whole list, and yep. then you go into the personal side. I'm a dad. I, I'm a traveler. You know, you, I'm a writer. You go through all of those things, and then you just you've identified probably by the time you're done with that, say ten to fifteen audiences that you're a member of. Hmm. Um. And it may be something really business focused, or maybe something like you know I'm a snowboarder. Um, Are you? But when when you target a an audience that you're a member of, yeah. you, I think you'll enjoy it more. You can stick with it a, a lot longer. Um, you you're going to care about it more. Yeah, and you're going to understand their pains a lot more. Yeah. And so I think once there's you find that audience, I feel like every little bit of success that I've had has come from two things. One. 
uh, just just hard work, just like the you know the elbow grease. But two, like every once in a while, there's a there's an insight that actually is important. You know, and mm-hmm. the only reason why I have those insights is because I'm the one who's in the same boat. I am the one writing for Father Apprentice, who is a dad who is struggling with this. Shit. You know what I mean? And yeah. and that's why I can have a little insight or this, that, or the other. Uh, and I don't know. There's something about that intuition that comes from when you really experience it, or when you spend a lot enough time sort of researching and pay attention to this to these people. And I feel like those insights and the, that those intuitions are important in an entrepreneurial sense. Do you feel the same? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The other thing is when you're talking to an audience that you're a member of, then your stories are relevant. You know, if instead of writing Father Apprentice, if you were yeah. writing a, a blog for, uh, you know, new moms or something like that, yep. your stories wouldn't be relevant. Mm-hmm. Your audience wouldn't relate to your stories yeah. at all. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I like it. All right, man. Well, where can people find out more about you, Nathan? NathanBerry.com. .biz.info.org. Exactly. All right, man. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Here is James Clear from jamesclear.com. Hey, Honky Tonk. Can you hear me? Can you feel me near you? Hello. How are you? I'm well, man. Where are you in the world right now? I am in Durham, North Carolina. I'm at home. You're at home. You're at home. All right, James Clear. Here's my question for you. What we got? Um, Last time we talked, you actually mentioned some things, and I wanted to, to hear a little bit more about defining and discovering who your audience is and what they actually struggle with such that you might be able to make a product or something that they'd be willing to pay for that might actually help them and you know serve them in, in some way. So my question to you is, um, what kinds of things uh, have you done in the past or maybe helped others do uh, to discover who their audience is and what the struggle is, what the pain points are, and things like that? Yeah, great question. There's a lot involved, I think, in that um, it doesn't have to be hard, but it involves a lot of work. And what I mean is that one of the things I think that's essential for serving an audience long term is figuring out what's important to you personally mm-hmm. and what like your voice is. And it can take a while to write and you know and discover like what that voice is for you. Mm-hmm. And then often I think about leadership, um, which in a lot of ways is what building an audience is. It's like you're being a leader for those people. I think about that as um, as like a way of rallying the people who believe the same things you believe mm. as opposed to like forcing people or fixing people to believe that stuff. Yeah. So what I, what I mean is that as you write more and you create content that you find important or compelling or uh, is valuable to you, the great thing about the web is that other people who resonate with those ideas and believe those same things and have those same values also find that useful. Now, mm. having said all that stuff, Uh, I think there are a few specific things you can do. So one is being a little more vocal about what those values are for you and like what you really care about. So as an example, just last month, I published uh, for the first time what I called my integrity report. And it answered a few questions. One is, what are the values that are important to me? Two, how am I living by those values now or how am I working and expressing those values in my work? And then three, what are some areas for improvement? How can I you know, live and lead with more integrity in that I am following and living out the values that I just said are important to me? Hmm. And people really resonated with that in my community. I was, I was surprised by people who were like, wow, it must have been hard to you know, share that stuff. And I didn't necessarily find it that hard to share. But what I found interesting is that when you open up and talk about the things that are really important to you, 
other people resonate with that because we're all, I mean, we're all human, right? So yeah. I think that, that this comes back to that larger idea, which I, you know, I think is one of those buzzwords that's getting thrown around the blogosphere a lot right now, which is transparency. Yeah. And so anyway, but the idea is sound in that when you share the things that are important to you and you step up and choose to be a little bit vulnerable about the values and things you hold dear, other people who resonate with those ideas, they come out of the word work as well. Yeah. So that's one way to, to build your audience or find your audience or find the people who are important to you. Once you've done that, and this, you know, this is done not just through being transparent, but also providing value for them on a weekly basis. You know, as an example, every Monday and Thursday, I'm publishing an article on jamesclear.com and people know that they can trust that. Yeah. And so through that, through doing that for over a year and a half, I, I have some, you know, some more trust built up with the audience and all that stuff. Now, once you have an audience there, how do you figure out what they want to buy or what you should sell them? I think that there are there are a variety of ways you can do it. You know, the the whole Derek Halpern strategy where when they sign up to your email list, you ask them what they wanna um what they wanna buy or what they're um, yeah. not what they wanna buy, what they're struggling with, I think is his question. Yeah. Um and I like that. I did that for a while and then I was getting like 160 emails a day, and so I stopped doing that. Um and so anyway, but that's, that's a great way to figure out like, what are some common pain points? And sure. Totally. The, even if you don't do it permanently, I found it useful just to like drop people into buckets, uh-huh. you know, where it was like, oh, okay, a lot of people are struggling with this problem or, you know, whatever. So that was, that was useful. The other thing that I think is almost more helpful, which I did when I was starting research on my first book is I created a survey and, uh, it was real short Google form. Um, just as a side note on survey construction, if you're going to do this, yeah, I find it really interesting or not interesting, but useful for the first like two or three questions, make them really quick, like click a bubble type questions. Yep. Like, are you male or female? Are you, you know, cl- cl- select your age range. Totally. So, like, I just so, feel like, oh, good. I know the answers to these ones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they get like three or four questions in. And even if there's only for me, I limit my surveys to like six or seven questions. But those first three questions take about 10 seconds. And so they have already built some momentum into the survey. Mm-hmm. And so there's this psychological piece, which is like, all right, I've already started this. Now let's go ahead and finish it. And so by giving them something easy to start with, it's more likely that they'll actually fill out the whole thing. Yeah, totally. Um, the other thing is I hate surveys personally. Yeah. I even say that when I send it out. It's like I do not enjoy doing surveys. So I made this as short and as you know concise as possible for yeah. you. Um, and uh, so – what I got from them was, you know, you know what I write about every month or every week. What are the the one or two things that you really wish I could like help you solve? Like, what are those problems? So just ask them specifically, and mm-hmm. then people will fill it out and tell you. Yeah. And then the other thing that I found useful, and this strategy could be used for other products as well, but works especially well for a book, is I asked them what um, what are other books that already solve this problem. And so people listed all this stuff. And I, I mean, I got like over 400 books. I, I think I had like a thousand people fill the survey out. So it was mm. just way too much data. But, um, but it was really useful to have all that there. Yeah. And what I did with that list of books is I went to Amazon and looked at all of the three-star reviews for, the, for those books to see what those books lacked. And then I can put that in, into my book. Wow. So um, figuring out having using that survey or using the the email strategy to ask people what they're struggling with and then figuring out how you can fill in gaps that maybe aren't currently being filled for that problem. I really like that uh that three three star trick. That's good. Yeah, yeah, so that uh I found that useful. I think I, I can't remember where I first read that. Um I don't know. I didn't come up with it though. Okay. Um but uh but anyway, so I think those are those strategies are all useful and then 
you know, you can, if you start to write about a topic every week, you're going to develop a feel for what people need and want. Um, And the other thing that I would say, and I think this is maybe the most important piece of all of it, is that just move forward and launch something because the idea that you can predict what a best-selling product will be before you sell it is completely false. And for a long time, I thought that I needed to to come up with the best business plan before I started. But the truth is the only time you're going to know if something works is once you launch it and people buy it or they don't. And so you're better off choosing to launch something, getting feedback on it, choosing to launch something else, getting feedback on it. And if you launch five products in a year, one of them will be your bestseller. But it's not your job to try to predict which one it's going to be beforehand. So I think that embracing that philosophy of like continual improvement and just continuing launching things, you'll end up stumbling upon a winner through that method rather than trying to like guess the best choice at the beginning. Ugh, I love that. James Clear, where can people find more from you? JamesClear.com. Uh, every Monday and Thursday, I publish a new article there. So feel free to take a look. Booyakasha. Thanks, man. Awesome. Happy to do it, buddy. All right, it's uh, intro, outro, Chase here again to signify the shift in gears. Let's bring on Corbett and Caleb and get into our topic for today. Stay tuned for some info on the free guide I mentioned on this audience-defining, targeting, making more successful products instead of total duds sort of thing we've been talking about. Let's get into it. Okay, boys, I want to chat with you guys about what we've done in the past, whether it be on Fizzle or any other products, projects that we've made to define, you know, what I guess in parlance, it's called like our avatar, our, our person that we've developed this thing for, our persona. Anyways, just figuring the details, like, like all these interviewees have been talking about, uh, how, what are the tactics that we've actually used to understand what we could make that these people could buy, what the problem is, what the pain point is, where their itchy parts are on their bodies. So, yeah, so we're good. going to tell people where their itchy parts are? Yeah. We are literally going to make them itch where we want them to itch Through with our earbuds. minds. With our minds. I know. Out there, there's somebody who's just a little bit OCD about feeling itchy, and we just totally caused them. <laughs> we triggered it. Oh. Yeah. So um, this, is, this is great. I, I love this topic, and uh, um, the tactics are all awesome. But before we jump into the tactics, can we just kind of mm. talk about the process a little bit? Because I think it's easy... Just like you know, choosing a business idea or you know, uh, building your site, whatever it is, it's easy to feel like you have to nail everything right away up front before you get started, and mm. that like you're stuck with that decision, and so that causes a lot of anxiety, and it causes a lot of people to actually get stuck without ever starting because there's all this you know, pent up worry about, I just have to nail it. You know, what's the exact perfect audience and what's the exact perfect topic and exact perfect product that I have planned out all this stuff. When in reality, like the best way to go about it is, you know, to give yourself some time, you know, take the pressure off, brainstorm, go through these different tactics that we're going to talk about, come up with an idea for who your audience is, put a stake in the ground and then go out there in the world and try to prove yourself right or wrong. You know, say you get to then see whether or not your ideas about who your audience, um, who you thought your audience was, are correct or not. And you can change it over time. And so for me, um, I'll just give you the story. Like when I started blogging back in 2009, basically, you know, I, I started a blog on a whim. I knew that I was frustrated with. This tension. We last episode we were talking a lot about these different continuums, you know, between making money, um, you know, between an opportunity that makes money and an opportunity that can't, or between yeah. art and commerce or whatever. For me, there was this continuum between 
either working for the man and you know having safety and security and trying to retire early um you know if you're lucky in your 50s or something versus being an entrepreneur and working 60 hours a week so that you could try to hit a home run and then have enough money to go off and do whatever it is that you wanted to do with the rest of your life and there was this tension between those two things and i just felt like there had to be some sort of middle ground and so i started blogging basically to scratch my own itch thinking that there was probably this middle ground between those things and a way to be an entrepreneur but also live a really interesting lifestyle at the same time. Mm. And I started putting that out there. And blogging is like the ultimate way to refine an audience because you put something out there, you share it with everyone you know, and then you wait and see if any conversations happen around that thing. If people comment, if they share your post on Facebook, if you start getting emails from people. If not, it either means that you're really bad at sharing stuff or mm. um, the thing that you shared just wasn't interesting enough. Yeah. So for me, it, it has to be that iterative process. You know, it's not as if you're going to use these tactics and strategies and then just you know, boom, right away, know who your audience is. It's better to put a stake in the ground. You know, think about who they might be, and then go out and start having conversations and refine it over time. Um, and then you know, continue to just change and adapt and and get to know the people that you're eventually going to serve. Hmm. Yeah, that's a real. I think that's a really huge point and something that none of uh, our interviewees or interview, yeah, interviewees. I guess I'm the interviewer. Uh, have talked about it, this sense that yes, it just takes time. Take the pressure off, and you do really have to just put a stake in the ground. Do some research, like you said. Do brainstorming, figure things out. Then make a decision. Your best guess. Go with your gut. Do it. You know, do the due diligence, and then fi- and then make a de- decision. Put a stake in the ground and try some things out. And allow it to evolve over time. I'm constantly trying to get people to think, uh, and I don't know. I, I, I like to think in terms of old world sort of things. Like you know, we have the cobblestoner from mm-hmm. long time ago. <laughs> oh, uh, the cobblestoner. Oh man, how did you get those rocks on there? What? Um, then, uh, but like farming, uh, carpentry and woodwork, stone masons, things like this. Stoned masons. Stoned masons, bro. <laughs> Are those the ones that are like evil with all like the signs and stuff? No, no. those are Freemasons. Free what? <laughs> but uh, think about, I always think in terms of like a carpenter. And if I wanted to be a carpenter back in the day, I would have to apprentice under a master. And that would be really, that was a really big deal to be accepted as an apprentice in a guild somewhere or do all this other stuff. I've done minimal research into this, but enough to know like, it was like you got into a trade and it was the rest of your life. And the first four years, five years of this, you are just shadowing somebody because there's real skills to learn and real things to find out and real things to discover. And that is uh, applicable to where we are. This concept of, of it's going to take a few years. So get that through your head. Like we have this, I'm really, I, well, I'm really like the, uh, the fizzle mindset course that we have in fizzle. Just this really quick, short, uh, dirty and strong little course that, that Caleb Corbin and I put together on the mindset of the short, dirty and strong. Short, short, dirty, and strong. I think there's a, yeah, is that a, what is that a something? Is there, I don't know. I could go somewhere. That's your, that's your middle name, isn't it? <laughs> Chase, short, dirty, and strong Reeves. <laughs> There's been some talk on Twitter about developing a fizzle cocktail book uh, to to so people can ooh that that'd be a good cocktail what to drink along with us Uh, and uh, so the short dirty strong could be a a, could be the description of something called like the uh, the the Caleb Wojcik or something you know. (laughs) 
that it's that literally the of? opposite yeah, of Caleb. He's like tall, 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 clean, and long. All right. Weak. <laughs> weak. <laughs> yeah, no. You don't want the drink to be weak. No, yeah. So, what, what, yeah, anyways, we could keep going. But, uh, but that, that physical mindset course, it's, it's, you know, it takes about 15 minutes to go through it. And there's not even any homework, I don't even think. Uh, it's just getting you to understand the expectations you should have, what guarantees that you have from starting a business. Uh, what, these sorts of things just to get you on the same, just get all of us fizzlers on the same boat and the same page about, you know what? That, like, like, here's some expectations about time you should have. Cause nobody ever tells you that on a sales page on, uh, you know, for how to be a blogger. Nobody ever says, give, give it four years and you're going to probably, if you keep writing about the same thing for four years and, and you iterate over time and you, you, listen to the audience and grow and develop like you're going to be set up great in four or five years so don't try to make it happen tomorrow because that's just an undue kind of pressure that's an unnatural sort of pressure not only for this kind of business but also for a person who literally needs to develop all these new skills like yeah you might be an expert in post-traumatic stress disorder and so you start blogging about it but now you've got to learn a million new skills about how to communicate effectively versus through writing, how to do it through writing on a blog in short iterative bursts, how to do it in reverse chronological order, how to keep an audience interested and engaged, all these things, email, Twitter, right? So be aware of that. This is going to take a little bit of time and you don't have to have it perfect before you get started. And I think that's really the key, Corbett, that you mentioned because you're right, we do we, there's so many people in my life that I care about that have great ideas and they haven't started yet because they don't feel like it's perfect yet, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's just the worst. So, uh, so that's where you wanted to start Corbett. Now, where do you want to go? Let's talk about, let's, let's talk about some tactics. It sounded let's, like you had a bunch in your back pocket. Let's talk some tactics. <laughs> hey well, guys, it depends on sort of what your outlook looks like. Um, so, for instance, for my day, I might sort of try to think of something that my target audience would be interested in. Interested in. You sound like um, Ben Stiller from uh, Something About Mary. Oh, man, it's been a long time since I've seen that one. Uh, we should do a, a, if if we were, I don't remember any of the characters in that movie, except for the hair scene. <laughs> should we, yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, okay, so let's talk about some tactics that, that we've used for Fizzle. I think by the time I came into Fizzle, you guys already had developed these like uh, these documents on a couple different people, uh, the, the avatars, we called them, right? Yeah, and we forced you to do them, and you, you came kicking and screaming to the table eventually. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think most of them were done, though, right? And I think I just kind of like uh, yeah, yeah, those glanced at them. Yeah. And it didn't come together to me. This is how it always starts for me. And you've heard a lot of our interviewees ask, answer this the same way. Um, it always comes down to a single person for me. It always, and it might be multiple single people, but it's a person that I know. I don't get any, like the, the only reason why I read through every single comment on Think Traffic is because I was trying to get a sense for a few different people there. And the only way I could do that, I didn't know who they were going to be. I just knew I had to go through as much as possible. And over time, as you see, A connects to B and B connects to C for individuals, that's when the story came to life. And that's when I could, they became tangible to me. I started to see what they wanted. I started to see what they struggled with. And I started to see what they expected from this website. I started to see uh, what, what they knew about what they needed and also 
what I thought they didn't know about what they needed. The, it all comes together for me on around a single person. Just like I've always told with, uh, you know, Father Apprentice, I was just writing for myself until one of my close friends got a woman pregnant that he didn't mean to get pregnant. And now he's looking at the rest of his life as a dad. So is that, that's a strategy. So that's a strategy <laughs> is tell your friends to start fiddling around. Put this one make, down, folks. Making bad decision. Hey, Remy, you do this. You do this for, for me and my business, all right? I need you to just take one for the team here and get a kid going. And one of these ladies over here, you can go the other way, other way too. I need you to get pregnant, right? Yep. It's a bad tactic. I would not at all. But <laughs> what I'm getting at is I, that's when I could sink my teeth into what's at stake and what this guy felt. And, and it's, this, it's this incredibly interesting balance. And this is true for any writing, any art, any sort of thing where you're trying to elicit an emotional response. It's this balance between what I feel and know about this thing and what they feel and know about this thing. I actually just reached out to Darlene uh, Hildebrandt, a fizzler, who wrote this, this reply. Uh, Nick clued me into it. Another fizzler, he's like, dude, this is a really good idea and probably a good post for, for Sparkline. And so I reached out to her. Hopefully she'll write it. Um, but she said there's this moment in her photography career where she had to choose to charge more than she could have afforded if she was the client. And it, was this, it just made this really poignant, up to then, she was like, it was her, her in her mind, she was her ideal client, mm-hmm. you know? But then it got to a point where she had enough interest and enough uh, people who were willing to pay for things that she kept raising rates, raising rates. And eventually it was way, be- it was beyond what she could have paid. And that was like a cognitive dissonance for her. Mm-hmm. And she had to do this mental gymnastics to get to the point where it's like, you know what? I am now officially making this for not for me, but for this person over here who can afford this sort of thing and needs it because it provides this much value to them, even even though it's the same sort of things I've been doing for this price over here. I thought that was just a really interesting way of looking at this struggle between essentially us, them, between me and the people I make my thing for. I was writing Father Apprentice for me. It was sort of an exercise in how to be a better dad. If I write about it, I'll take it more seriously. And then, holy shit, look at this. I want to help this guy. I care a great deal about him. He's struggling with X, Y, and Z. We're having phone calls. I get to hear what he's struggling with. And I, and I get, that's when I get to say, oh my God, don't worry about that. That's going to be fine. That's not the thing to worry about. The one thing to worry about is this, you know, whatever. Um, so that's an inter- that's a, a, an interesting balance to me. The, 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 what you know about them and then with what you need to discover about them balance. But I got on that. How did I get on that? I was talking about the, oh, reading the, the, the comments. Yep. To, to get into a story to make it tangible. Uh, and Josh Chang at Widen and Kennedy, he works with on massive brands, right? Nike and things. And that he uses the term muse. When you discover that person, they become your muse yeah. for this concept. Yeah, that's, I loved that. that's great. Yeah. So what else? What, what, have you, what, 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 what have you guys remember about making those avatars? Well, I looked them up, actually. And so it was April of 2012 was when we made... The first ones, Corbett and I emailed them back and forth to each other. But you had this huge list of different questions, Corbett. Do you want me to read some of them so people yeah. get an idea what we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, cool. So, I mean, you can start with things like name, age, gender, if they're married and have kids. And you said in your email, they can be based loosely off someone you really know, maybe a customer of yours already, or you can make up someone from scratch. Yeah. You can talk about where they live, what kind of job they have, how much they earn, which goes back to what 
can they afford and what will they pay for that you talked mm. about last episode, Chase? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's going on in their life? Last place they vacationed? What kinds of things do they read? Their favorite websites? Favorite TV shows and movies? And you know, some of these things as you get into them maybe don't directly impact what it is you're teaching or selling or offering. Sure. Yeah. But it's important to have those types of things. I mean, you always bring up Steve Cam because he can talk about video games and stuff like that, even though you know his audience is nerds, but he doesn't talk about video games or comic books or movies. But he can use photos off a of Flickr of Lego characters doing stuff yeah. related to those things because he knows his audience gets those references. Sure, yeah. You can also yeah, talk about what they're most afraid of, who do they admire, what frustrates them. Is that a, a list that we could, could we like turn that into a little document? Yeah. Uh, actually, we could, yeah. So I have this idea, and I might I might do this, might as well mention it here. Uh, might turn this, uh, all of these interviews and the, and, the, and the hot, rich tips from all of them into a little uh, PDF so people can just download it, have mm. it anywhere, and pull it up with a, with a couple other things, including an empathy map sort of exercise that I'm going to talk about in a second. Um, is that related but to that, an empathy belly? Is that like <laughs> if you have a friend who's like an explorer and um, they're out there in the world and you carry around this map to feel empathy for where they are? Hmm. Yeah, I think it's, it's exactly like that. like that, I guess. I, I oh. think the weight gain is still part of it, though. Yeah. Are we talking about the freshman 15? What is this? I don't know. Um, All of Magellan's friends were just huge. <laughs> <laughs> Wash bomb. <laughs> All of Magellan's friends are were just massive, huge, huge obesity in southern <laughs> Milan, yeah. where Magellan was from, or wherever he was from. That's amazing. The, the, yeah, and actually, as a as sociologist referred to it as the Magellan effect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of gravity. It reminds gra- me of Arrested Development when uh, he goes to school to be a cartographer, like a map maker. Oh, yeah. And he's like, haven't they pretty much... Found mapped everything, everything. <laughs> yeah they did a pretty good job <laughs> <laughs> totally so what i'll do is I'll, I'll i'll grab that whole list uh you know pat flynn has a great post too which i'll find where he mentioned i think it was when he was developing the food trucker site just a bunch of these questions that are good what's interesting about this is these questions can be really fun and really interesting it can also be they can also be dubious in terms of how much they actually impact whether or not you understand the reality of this person. Mm-hmm. So it's this balance between going through exercises to try to empathize more with your ideal customer, with the person you're actually targeting. There's a balance between actually getting to more empathy and just fabricating things that aren't actually true. Um, so be aware of that. I don't know if there's any. I don't. You just have to. I don't know. Have good taste and figure it out. <laughs> you know, yeah. like you just have to learn, right? And it's not for, like it's not like this is you know going to magically fix everything. But for a lot of us, you know, and and I feel like maybe you're a little bit different, Chase. Um, just in terms of your boy, is, boy that's the understand how you of the year. Just in yeah, terms you, of how you can just put a period at the end of that. <laughs> You're very you're very people focused. I feel like you're always thinking about you know people and yeah. what their walk, what their place in life is like, and all that kind of stuff. And so for some of us, that doesn't come as easily. So all these questions are just aimed at trying to make this avatar into a real person instead of just a bunch of demographics, because that's the risk here. A lot of people who go through these um, 
these questionnaires or whatever, or try to come up with the customer avatar, they're thinking just like, what's their age range and what's their, you know, socio demographic status, like all that kind of stuff. And it's just a bunch of stats on a page. It doesn't really feel like a real person. So if I sat down to write a book for people who are college graduates between 25 and 34 with uh, an income around $80,000 and I started writing a book for those people, it doesn't really help me at all, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And Tara Gentili had a uh, uh, really, she made something, she said something that was really interesting to me. Um, she was talking about how she does the same thing that I do, where I try to focus on, on one person that I actually know. <clears throat> and the reason why, she says, is because as, uh, as actual like people, uh, we are actually really, really, really adept at understanding another person in real life when we have all the cues that we have to go on. You know, from body language to words to uh, voice and tone to, I don't know, pheromones and things like that. There's just that we've been doing this for millions of years, understanding each other or working to understand each other. So she says that level of abstraction when you get into big data and you try to analyze the swarm, it, it cannot. It tends to take longer and, and be potentially less effective. Not saying that it doesn't work, but just that it's. It's an option that you might not need to pursue at all. And when she works with lots of clients on this kind of thing through a customer perspective map, she always does this with someone, getting them to focus and do the research to find the right person to build this thing for and then nail that person. And that becomes, uh, because of our intuition, because of our emotional intelligence, because of our way of dealing, we've dealt with, we've manipulated our parents. Like watch, I watched my, my kid when he was, probably about two years old, as soon as he started being able to talk, he started manipulating mom and dad to try to get what he wants. He started playing mom and dad off of one another. He started doing this, and I was just like, oh no, he's a monster. And then I realized it's every kid that does this from an early age. Um, We're just really adept at this interpersonal stuff and trying to figure out what's going on in someone's mind. Um, So I felt like, and I'd never heard that before. I think it was a really big point uh, at least it, it explains a little bit why I'm always I have to read all the comments until I can get to the one story that I can t- sink my teeth into mm-hmm. you know and I, I'll show, share this UX empathy map with you right now it's a, a, there's a guy called David Gray who I don't know a whole lot about but Merlin Mann used to he's the guy that I think uh, sketched out the Merlin Mann uh, uh, avatar Merlin used to talk about him a lot because they were uh, they did a lot of work together back in the day I think at Adaptive Path so I don't really know much about him, and I followed him just sort of loosely, but recently I've discovered through him uh, that he has a book about this. Uh, it's called The Empathy Map. That he, It's like a little game that he does, it's, you, and I'll put it in the show notes. His website is, I think, gogamestorm.com, and he talks about all these exercises that groups can do to understand what a user on a website, what a, a person on a sales page, what, a, what these people actually want. You know, so he just does this for a living, and he has this concept of the empathy map. So, so imagine this, and, I, and I'll tell you really quick, uh, or in a second, I did this recently and actually stumbled on something really good for someone. Um, so you start with drawing like just a caricature face, just a circle with the nose and eyes, and he actually has them looking. You're looking at the profile, side profile, of the face. So the nose is on the right, and he's sort of looking. Right, so he or she, her, and so draw a little hair on there. Maybe if it's a guy with some glasses, put some glasses on there. If he's got a mohawk, or if it's cute hair, if she's got longer hair and bangs, or whatever, something to get you to think about this particular person. And I, like I said, think about someone in particular. 
So in my example, I thought about my friend John in Chicago, who's a really, really talented developer. Um, and I imagined if he was listening to the Fizzle show, or if he was taking a Fizzle course, uh, if he was signing up for Fizzle, what would he, uh, what kinds of things would he be interested in, right? So I, I, so I, I immediately zoned in on John, a guy I knew. He has some stubble on his face. He's an attractive guy, short hair. So I just kind of sketched those things in, like being a total, total, like not sketch guy. Just scribble it in and see what happens. So then you draw a handful of lines coming around, off from around this, this guy's face. Uh, that segment, a, a, a couple different things. Uh, what this person is thinking, what they're seeing, what they're saying, what they're hearing, and what they're doing, okay? And, and then David Gray says, now pose a question to this person, like maybe, hey, what would you like to buy? Or what could we do at the Fizzle Show? What could we talk about that you'd be interested in? Just pose a question of some kind that's sort of like your general sort of lens to, to answer these questions through. So then you just simply sort of brainstorm with other people or with just yourself, depends on how much of a team player you are, you know, I, for example, am really good on my own, as you guys both know. Uh, I'm also a good team player, as you guys both know. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Just deal with it. Um, so another rich tip. Uh, so then you just start filling these things in. And those categories only serve as, as different lenses to kind of look at this question and this person through. So what are they seeing? Well, he's a coder, so he sees some code. He's, he sees text editors, right? He's probably seeing a lot of email. Uh, he's in Chicago, so cold winters, but he's also like pals around with the 37 Signals guys and all this sort of thing. Okay, what is he saying? What is he thinking? You start asking these questions or, or just brainstorming, just getting into it. And again, for me, it only ends up making sense when I can really nail a person. If it's Sandra, who owns a puppy, uh, who shops at Whole Foods, right? Like, it's, I still can't, I don't know how to answer for Sandra. But if it's actually, uh, you know, if it's Carrie who has a puppy and a five-year-old who does shop at New Seasons or Whole Foods and, uh, and has this, ha- like, I immediately can answer questions on how she would respond to certain questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, I did this for, for John and just, you know, a bunch of whatever, just as an example, uh, or just to try this thing out. Because I'd, I'd done it before and I hadn't done it in a while and I wanted to see what it was like. And I landed on something, and who knows if this is an insight or not, but uh, I will say in all of the work that we've ever done together, uh, it, whether it be on a fizzle course or uh, designing a website or anything that I've ever done, nor, or perfect example is the Think Traffic. Read all the comments, figure out Steve, uh, find, find him, fall in love with him, want to make something really great for him. Uh, I had a little insight about him and the Think Traffic audience. It always comes out around a little insight. Nobody's ever said this. So for instance, for Think Traffic, I realized, you know what? These people are brave. They're brave. Like they're not idiots. They're not the smartest people in the world. None of us are, but they're brave. They're actually trying something. They're actually tr- kind of giving themselves a chance. They're, they're, they're reaching out from, you know, against the grain of probably most of the people in their life and saying, I'd like to try something new, even if they're embarrassed about it, even if they don't share it with spouses or moms and dads and cousins, friends. They're brave. There's something brave in this, and that's all I needed. That's all I needed. I needed Steve's story and this concept of truly deep down, these people are actually brave. That's the truth about them. And that's how I designed that site. And maybe it could have come out a million different ways with a bunch of different insights, and it would all have been fine. I don't know. But anyways, for John, the little insight that I landed on is... 
he probably is sitting on about, and I know this for a fact because he's a friend, he's sitting on a couple different great ideas that he's actually developed quite a bit of just because in his spare time, like he can put on Modern Family and just code away, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and make stuff. For him, there's no urgency. He'd rather fiddle with something than ship something into the world because it's very vulnerable and scary to do that, though he's not thinking on that level. He would never say like, yeah, I don't really feel like shipping it because I'm, I'm scared of it. He wouldn't say that. He would say he, he might not know about this, but this is the truth I feel like I discovered about him is that there's no urgency for him. There's no reason to ship for him. Be, there, there's, a, there's an inherent resistance to it, even though he's, way ca- he's, he's so skilled in all this stuff. So that little insight ended up, ends up being incredibly informative for me. So now I know, like, maybe that's, that's I could talk directly to John about that, you know? And, and now, because I know him and I can call him up, I could be like, hey, is this true? I just do some thinking and research on you. Not creepy. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> and is this true? How do you feel? Like, and then I can actually get that feedback. Um, all of that to say, this UX digital uh, empathy map, which I'll have in, at the show notes, and this is episode 50, right? So fizzleshow.co slash 50. Uh, we're coming close to 52, guys. Wow. You know, this is a really helpful tool. To, to, I don't know, just to kind of get into the other people's skin, into their shoes, walk a mile, and see what it actually feels like. Because there's something really magical about that that happens. Because you're naturally, naturally humans can care about other people. You know, even if we want to make a bunch of money, you could still have an insight that can actually lead to a bunch of money. I don't know, what if that sticks? I mean, I think, you know, these things are all fairly low cost. Doing the mm. empathy map or doing this questionnaire yeah. that we talked about earlier. You know, do a bunch of them and come at it from different angles, um, mm-hmm. and 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 then see what emerges out of it because you never know where that little insight is going to happen from. And then once you have a few insights and you feel like you might know who somebody is, then it's time to put a stake in the ground and start moving forward with your idea and start to have actual conversations with people that you feel like fit into that audience yeah. to see how close you were. Yeah, how do you? Like how it. many do you feel you need? I think three is a good number. In terms of like actual customer avatar, target? yeah, because you yeah. want the ones that are different enough. I always try to make one that's beginner, one inter- intermediate, one advanced. Mm-hmm. I mean, those aren't the only differences, obviously. But I like to go between. I, I, I try to always have at least. I try to have one boy and one girl, basically. That too, I, at least at have minimum, that too. you know. Um, but to be honest, you know, with all the fizzle stuff, and I, I haven't looked at those avatars in forever, and I don't know if, if I ever, and I, I know I read a bunch of, and whatever, nothing stuck. Nothing stuck. I see, I see two people's faces, right? I see Scott Dinsmore three years ago, because that's who we, dis- that's what we talked about. And, and it, that's when it really started making sense for me. So for me, I see a younger Scott Dinsmore who does, who has less answers and probably making some bad decisions, but like a lot of potential. Uh, and then I also see D, Copen Patience. I just, I, was, I just see her face and I know how she responds to things or I at least think I do and what she needs and what she thinks she knows and what she doesn't know mm-hmm. um, and, and what she wants and what will actually be helpful for her and all that stuff. And it's, I, just, I see those two faces. Those are who I see. And I think um, this, is, this is one of the things that um, we've been talking about doing again when yeah. we're all together uh, at a team event or whatever, because it's worth doing. You know, it's been it's yep. been almost two years. Actually, it has been two years. You said April. Of well, and now we have thirteen hundred yeah. people to look at and choose from and say, okay, these are people who have actually bought. Right. And, and there's a difference there. This was before we'd started mm-hmm. Fizzle, and yeah. we had had customers. We had a lot of customers, and some of these maybe were modeled off of some of them, or 
fans or commenters or whoever, but um, I mean, we chose vague names and we all knew we all knew we have people yeah well and and the the difference is wow that was a hot mic there the the difference is that um hot tips you know before i guess we were we were coming up with a customer avatar for the people that we thought we could help go through a particular transformation and become successful but now we have a better handle on specifically who can use the tools that we are able to create to go through that transformation and come out the other side versus, mm-hmm. you know, if we talk about the, the avatars that we had before, those might be people that if we were able to work one-on-one with or, you know, have some other sort of system in place, we might be able to help them. But the reality is we have Fizzle, which is a certain set of tools that are very self-service and, you know, it requires participation in the community in order to get the most out of. So mm-hmm. now we need to reshape those avatars to realize the kinds of people who are really making use of it and really making progress and then, you know, go after finding more of those customers. Yeah, I dig it. I have been Chase Wardman Reeves. I've been Corbett Hot Mike Barr. <laughs> I've been Caleb Logic. And we'll see you there. We'll see you on another time. So there you have it. As I mentioned... We've put together a free guide on this for you to download. Insights from our guests, exercises, and worksheets to help you really get to clarity about your audience so you'll be so much more likely to make something successful instead of something that fades out into crickets. Lost, ignored, lonely. I don't want you to make lonely stuff. People who make lonely things are lonely. Get the uh, get the book, get the guide, whatever you want to call it. Get the handbook, get the compass, the map, whatever you want to call it. Get it right now for free at fizzleshow.co slash 50. That's F-I-Z-Z-L-E show.co slash 50. That's five zero. Which is also, by the way, where you'll find the show notes for this episode. Info on each of our excellent interviewees. And in case you haven't seen that word spelled out before, it ends in wheeze. <laughs> and while you're there... Get the book. Here's an iTunes review from uh, Peter the Bone Fracture Guy in Sweden. I kid you not. That's the name he went with. He's like, uh, I could write Peter. No, that won't cover it. Hmm, I need something else. I know. The Bone Fracture Guy. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Amazing, Peter. This is what Peter says. Five stars. Solid business advice and muscle spasms from hysterical laughter. If they were Star Wars, Corbett would be Yoda, Caleb would be Luke Skywalker, and Chase would be Jar Jar Binks. No offense, Chase, you're a world-class comedian. Oh, thanks, Peter. That may. Oh, sure, I can take that from you now. He keeps saying. Jokes aside, you need to listen to these guys. It's honest, no BS for a change. Advice delivered with striking personal chemistry well peter i'm a little bit uh wishy-washy on this review but i thank you for it anyways unbelievable jar jar Binks. show me your crazy name and give us some love in itunes search for the show in the itunes store and click write a review tell us what you think offer up your own intro and we'll read it on the show be yourself we'd love to hear it and it helps others find the show next week is q a week And the last week in April, my goodness, May and summer, all those things are starting to happen now. This is your life. This, this right now, this, you're listening to me and this is your life and you chose to listen to me. This moment, no, not that one. That one is in the past now. No, this one right now. This moment is your life. It's all right here. 
And I know you've got a smile deep in there somewhere. So find it and find the same thing in others and pull it out and help others do the same because this is your life. Thanks. We'll talk again next Fizzle Friday.